Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. I've got Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. It is Sunday afternoon. I will say that this podcast has been a long time coming, and I'm not saying that because we should have recorded it this morning. I'm saying that (laughs) because it started back in November, December. This is the podcast that I was hoping we could have, and I'm sure the other two uh, experts I have with me as well, to have a, a positive podcast after a North Carolina football game. Buck, it has been a, quite a long time since that has happened, it seems like. Carolina 24, South Carolina 20, just an unbelievable environment in Charlotte, just an unbelievable outcome for the for Carolina to get to 1-0 in the season and beat a South Carolina team that everybody dislikes in the process. Absolutely. And there was no question there. So I'm just going to, you know, freelance here, (laughs) but two things. One is out of every inside Carolina person that predicted the outcome of this game, uh, Tommy Ashley predicted a North Carolina win. Only one out of all the IC personnel, including my comrade uh, on this podcast, Jason Staples, but, Jason Staples said that North Carolina's offensive line had the potential to rival Clemson's offensive line, for which he took an excessive amount of heat. But I'm going going on record as one of those was correct already. Tommy was right. North Carolina won. And I'm going on record as saying that Jason may be very well right that North Carolina's offensive line will rival Clemson's offensive line or be better than this year based on what we saw on Saturday. So uh, for myself, who predicted neither of those things, I'm going to say I had the good sense to hire both of these people. (laughs) And uh, my, my good friend, Baden Hill, tells me when I'm fishing for a compliment from him, he says, "Uh, Buck, the best... Uh, thing about you is you know how to hire the right people and 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 i'm trying to get him to say something good about me and that's all he can say so anyway basically comparing you to mac brown then huh i guess uh, a little bit yeah but uh uh, since there was no question in there tommy i just sort of freelance with uh the opening there and you can take it from there yeah i don't like to fish for compliments but i appreciate it and jason i i explain why I felt like Carolina was going to win. It just felt different, the lead up to this. Uh, But, you know, there was really no reason other than hype to believe it, but it just just seemed different. Um, And I thought one of the things that was interesting watching the various games over the course of Saturday and then listening to the press conferences is Mac Brown in his post-game press conference talked about how they have concentrated and pushed the guys on the fourth quarter, fourth quarter, fourth quarter, all year long since they got there. And but but seeing these players struggle in the fourth quarter, you know, for the past two seasons, but then seeing that coaching staff being able to instill that and it paid off, even though, as Coach Brown said, you know, they tried to screw it up on a couple occasions. Um, 
kneeling down on the fourth down and all that kind of stuff that the players were still able to overcome everything and win a ball game. And then conversely, uh, a team that you know intimately, you have Willie Tiger in year two at Florida State still talking about we've got to learn how to win. We've got to learn how to finish. And Mac Brown seemingly knows one game against the South Carolina team that uh, if they go 500, I think it'll be a good season for them at this point. Uh, but it is so far out of the norm for North Carolina and to happen like it did on Saturday, it's just an incredible turnaround when so many other teams, so many other coaching staffs hunt that elusiveness of getting buy-in, getting players to understand what it takes and then going out and doing it. Yep. Uh, I mean, you you just said a whole lot there, and I agree with all of it. Now, for what it's worth, this South Car- that game probably knocked South Carolina out of a bowl. So there's that additional satisfaction right there. Uh, because as you said, that South Carolina team probably at this point, it's going to be hard for them to go 500. And that's not because they're not a good team. That's probably a top 35 team. But look at their schedule. <laughs> they played the three best teams in the country in Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. And then they've also got Florida on the schedule. And then they're going to have to basically, so that, that means you've got, if you, if you just put those four as almost certain losses, and then you add this one, then they have to run the table to go seven and five. And they've still got Kentucky. They've still got, I know Tennessee lost this weekend, which, you know, also could not go better for if you're Mac Brown wanting to recruit in traditional North Carolina areas right now, you just beat South Carolina. Virginia tech looks terrible. <laughs> you got Tennessee losing to, I don't even remember who it was that beat Tennessee. They're, 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 it's such a no name that, you know, your things start to look pretty good, but that's a good South Carolina team that's probably going to miss a bowl. And and so at the end of the year, nobody should be saying, oh, well, you know, they they that's a five win or a four win South Carolina team. That win doesn't really, you know, it's not as big. No, that's a good team. And that's a team that is a physical team that is used to winning, at least, you know, making bowls, win, winning enough uh, to do that. And North Carolina got down by 11 points. And this is exactly what we talked about last week of how are they going to handle it? I mean, it's been a really positive off season. Obviously there's that buzz that you referenced, Tommy, you know, Mac Brown won the off season, but the question is what happens when you get hit in the face? It's the custom auto thing, right? The thing that he used to teach uh, Mike Tyson, you know, everybody has a plan until he gets punched in the face. And that's, that's when you have, that's when real confidence starts. That's when you find out. And then, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. That's what we talked about, right? They go down by 11 points in the second half. And every Carolina team we've watched in recent memory, that game's over. And you look on that sideline, and you would never know that they were down double digits at that that point. And if you look at what Phil Longo called, you would never know that they were down two scores in the second half. It was the same stuff. Run the football, little play action, take a shot here, run the football, run the football, pound it, pound it. 
that's a confident that instills confidence to say, guys, we're, we're not abandoning what we're doing. We still got plenty of time and they're starting to get gassed. Let's just keep pounding it. Let's keep pounding it. Let's keep pounding it. And you could see the confidence level. Actually, at that point in the game, it looked like even though they were down two scores, the confidence level went up. And that, that spoke volumes to me of, okay, Mac in one off season has been able to get those players to buy into the vision to say, this is what we're going to be. This is how we're going to do things. And they completely bought into the point where when it looked like it wasn't working, they still believed. That, that's everything. And like you said, that's not happened at Florida State. And that's a place where they've won. They've won. I mean, they were in a New Year's Day Bowl three years ago. You know, they, they've won very recently. And what you have is, as you mentioned, Willie Taggart, after blowing an 18-point lead at home, although, you know, obviously not a normal home game because of how that got moved around and everything, and the stadium was basically empty in the second half. At home, losing to Boise State after an 18-point lead in the first half, he's saying, well, you know, we still got to learn to finish and learn how to win games. Well, you know, why is it that in one case, in year one, they've taken on a completely different culture and have shown, look, they, they're, they've already bought in their belief versus down in Tallahassee. They're not doing that. There's something to be said. There's again, culture comes from the top down on a lot of that stuff. And you can see that Carolina has bought in. And I think a big part of that, I, I, I don't want to go this podcast without mentioning how critical Brian Hess has been to implementing that culture and that kind of mentality over the course of the off season. That team was well-conditioned. That team went in and they, they took the hit in the mouth and they basically said, yeah, well, we're still going to go ahead and pound it. Well, okay. That, that reflects a team that, that worked, that goes in and believes we, we deserve this because we outworked you. This is what we're going to do. And this is who we are. And that's that. And that comes from off-season work. That comes from the the vision being passed in, from buy-in, all of that stuff. And that speaks volumes. That says a lot about where the program is headed in, you know, in the near future. I mean, you get some recruits on campus and you continue to build that culture, and that makes a really, really big difference. So and and it's organization, it's all of those things, all the little things in the program that that I mean, again, Mac Brown has done a terrific job of reestablishing a a culture where players have bought in and where they're going to play physical and where they're not going to get, they're not going to panic. And they, they really believe that they, they deserve to beat whoever's across the field from them. And they're going to lose games this year, but now we know how they're going to respond when things aren't going well. And it was a very good response. Yeah. But I I do not think they'll lose games because they're worn out or because they were, um, didn't play as hard as their opponent. And I think that's, that's, that's one of the que- or that's one of the questions that going into the season, people would ask me, how do you think they're going to do? How do you think they're, you know, can they beat South Carolina, Miami, whoever? And I said, I have no idea. Uh, I have no idea how they're going to look, how they're going to play. We'll have to see. But now we've got one game in the – only one game in the library now, but it certainly seems like 
the buy-in is there. The, the uh, mentality of a winner is there. It's early. We're probably, you know, hyping it up too much. They could lay an egg next week. But now when somebody asks, how do you think they're going to do? I think the response is they got a chance. They got a chance against almost everybody. Um, and we'll see how it goes. Let me talk about Johnny T-shirt briefly. Get them mentioned early in our podcast because they're so important to the Inside Carolina podcast. JohnnyT-shirt.com as well. Franklin Street. Miami games next Saturday at 8 o'clock. You're going to get to Chapel Hill early, and you need to stop by Franklin Street, and you need to go in Johnny T-shirt. Patronize them. Buy all the Carolina gear you need. If you were in Charlotte this weekend, you saw a ton of new Carolina swag. Johnny T-shirt's got it all. Certainly, you can still get that Mac is back shirt, but now there's all sorts of everything Carolina. And something else I saw a lot was the shoes. Everybody has their Carolina sneakers now. Johnny T-shirt has got everything you could possibly need for Carolina, for your tailgate, for your anything. All Carolina, all the time. Johnny T-shirt online, Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. And, of course, these listeners, if you're a premium subscriber, you get 10% off your order. Buck, I will ask you a question this time because I want to stay on the Hess theme because I thought it was huge um, because it was hot. It was really hot. <laughs> And, and Carolina was on the sun side and I, the announcers mentioned it a few times and then being in the stadium, um, especially in the second half, it, it was blazing hot out there. But like Jason said, there were some, a few cramp issues and Howell had some issues he had to deal with, but that Carolina just being the more conditioned team, but how many times have we seen over the course of two, three, four ever that Carolina has not been that team. And I know that's something you thought about. And I know that's something we all were amazed at watching it go down yesterday. I agree, Tommy. And there's two things there that uh, are at least worth pointing out, which is one, they did look like the more conditioned, the more rested, the sharper, physically on point team going into the fourth quarter. But, and I'm expecting Jason to follow up on this with me is not only were they, did they not look like the best condition team? They looked like the more confident team. They were down 11 points, but they appeared to me as they went into the fourth quarter, the more confident team. And, and, you know, uh, some of that's got to do with uh, strength and conditioning. A ton of it's got to do. And in my opinion, uh, as you talked about earlier in the podcast, Tommy, Brian Hess is a magnificent uh, strength and conditioning coach. I was talking to Jim Hawkins earlier today, our photographer, and he was mentioning to me that you know, he was near the tunnel or whatever when Brian Hess was addressing the team before they went out, and he was just blown away by Brian Hess's comments to the team as they went out on the field. But in that fourth quarter, it was about strength and conditioning, of course, that had a lot to do with it. But those players are not just well-conditioned, they were confident. And even in that last little piece of of the game where the victory formation went bad um 
and which Mac has addressed and, and taken, you know, full responsibility for, um, when that defense had to go back out on the field with 11 seconds left to go or whatever it was, 10 seconds, um, they didn't have their hands on their hips. Their heads weren't down. They're like, okay, tee it up. Let's go. And then Jason Strobridge made a play. And so I, I think it was it's a good piece about conditioning, but also the confidence factor that, you know, you've done what we've asked you to do. You're, you're doing what we want you to do. You've got the lead. We're going to close this out. And I think their confidence was sky high, even going in into the fourth quarter, 11 points down. Jason, one thing, and, you know, I want to break it down much deeper, but I watched a, a freshman quarterback go out there for North Carolina and, on Saturday, there were quite a few freshmen that did a lot of good things at the quarterback position. I'm not sure any of them did um, any better than Sam Howell, but when you look at the stats from uh, Carolina's win, I, I believe Howell went seven of his last eight passes. And then you conversely look at Bentley, who had all the experience, all the hype, all, you know, I think somebody said he won the Manning Camp Thrower Award or whatever. He went uh, the exact opposite, one for his last eight of his. No, he, uh, he had a second completion in those last eight. It was two for the last eight. Well, it was actually three for the last eight. He just threw two of them to Miles Wolfork. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I know at least one of them went to Wolfork. So let's not let's not not let's not pretend that that was an incompletion. Now, <laughs> but but that is just uh that is just amazing to me though to see. And it's all about the staff and how certainly gave praise to the staff for preparing him. But the kid had to go out there and do it. And just to, to come through like that, a 98 and a 95-yard drive, you match that up with a Carolina defense that's just swarming their um, senior quarterback. I mean, just wow. Talk about Howell's performance, what you saw. He certainly had help. Um, and we can talk about that more in depth. But he was fantastic for his first outing as North Carolina's quarterback. First thing that I saw was a tough SOB. <laughs> I mean, that that really is it. I mean, you're looking at a, at a quarterback who, when he needed to run, he ran. You know, he, he is he a runner? No. But he took some shots, had no problem taking those shots and stepping into the next throw. And he had no problem, no, no, con there's no confidence issues with that one. You know, again, we've talked about how how teams take on the character of their head coach. Teams also take on the character of their quarterback, who is an extension of the head coach. And ideally, the the head coach picks a quarterback that ex, that exhibits the traits that that head coach wants. Well, Howell has no confidence issues. He he's he's going to walk right in and and be a gunslinger. And yeah, he made a couple a couple throws that. I know for a fact that are going to get chewed on a little bit in, uh, in film session, but you expect that what, what you're really happy about is there was one where he, he early in the game misdiagnosed underneath coverage, you know, stared his receiver down and it probably should have been picked. And that's one where a lot of kids throw that one and then they get a little slower on the trigger and a little more gun shy the next time, because they know that was, that was nearly a pick six. Howell was 
it was undiscernible whether he was impacted by that at all the next time. Zero conscience on him. And that kind of amnesia, if you're going to be a successful young quarterback, if you're going to be a, a, a true freshman that's going to have some success, you'd better have that kind of lack of conscience when it comes to to that sort of thing. You want to learn from your mistakes, but you can't let your mistakes affect you negatively. And that's the part that really stood out to me about him is, is just the toughness side and the mentality side, which came out because there were lots of other things that you can quibble with. I mean, the, the throw that he had uh, in terms of uh, the one that, that, that went through the, went through the portal and uh, wound up being a catch. Yeah, that was, that was, that was lucky, but you, you take a little bit of luck. And he still was, you know, and he was willing to make that throw, not a throw he'll hopefully make in the future, but it's one that, you know, a gunslinger is going to make once in a while. And sometimes you get rewarded for it. The other thing that really stood out to me, though, is how Longo and, and Mac Brown and the rest of the staff planned for him in this game. Now, I'm su- I was surprised that he played the full game because I, I know Reuter was, was good during camp. And I, I kind of expected that they would, that they would split a little bit, but they really did everything possible to build his confidence over the course of the game. And also I I think it was pretty clear. They felt like our offensive line is good enough that we can run it on them and just stay in the game. And, and, and it seemed to me that what they wanted to do was just, let's see if we can get this game to the fourth quarter. And if we can get this game to the fourth quarter, then we can win this game. That, that seems to have been the plan because it was really once they got to that point of fourth quarter where it was like, okay, we're going to take the handcuffs off you, Sam, and we're going to give you a chance to win it. But before that, it, they treated it like, like a, you know, I, I love golf. Some of you, some of you out there have played with me know that, you know, my, my, my uh, skills do not quite match up with my, uh, with my love of the game at this point, but you know, there's still time, I guess. Uh, but one of the things when you watch pro golf, first round and second round you lose tournaments in those rounds and then you have moving day and then the fourth round that's where you know the all the pressure's on and all that and it looked to me like they treated the game like a golf tournament first round let's just make sure we don't put sam in a position where a bad mistake means that we're out of the out of the football game or that the confidence is shattered let's just play par golf let's just shoot at the middle of the at the middle of the green let's let's aim away from trouble let's make sure that we that we get to round two where we're still not out of contention. All right, round two, we're going to do the same thing in the second quarter. Round three, this is moving day. We better start doing a little. And that's when you started seeing some of the play action and some of the other stuff coming in. And they really were starting to, to grind up front. And then in the fourth quarter, it's like, all right, we're in contention. Let's see if we can win this thing. And that, that really worked out well for them. And even when they, when they were in contention, they went after the smart flags. They didn't go after the tucked ones. What I mean by that is they gave Sam a chance to win the game. They gave Howell a chance to win the game, but they didn't do it by asking him to make high-risk throws. They, they dialed up a bunch of, of fades, and this is something that Longo actually covered in the coaching clinic that he studied for a while with uh, multiple years, actually, with Mike Leach on how to coach the the fade route and how to uh how to how to coach both the quarterback and the wide receivers to have the highest possible completion percentage there and 
everything that you saw on those that they that those key fade routes that they threw, Howell threw it exactly like he's coached, and the wide receivers fundamentally were perfect on each of those. I mean, I'm talking about the the one with uh, Daz Newsom out of the slot that was a key third down conversion. Talking about the one that that really was the game winner. Uh, with Deami Brown with that ridiculous catch in the uh, in the, in the corner of the end zone, those are the thing is those are not risky risky throws for a freshman quarterback. Those are those are very safe. If it's not if it's not our guy who comes up with it, it's incomplete type throws, and you're giving your guy a chance to win the game with very little chance to lose it. So those are the accessible pins. We're shooting at those. And we're giving ourselves a chance to win. We're going to go for the go go for the green in two on the par five this day because we can reach it. And that's what they did. And and I thought the game plan in that regard was really good, and it suited what Sam what what Sam Howell's strengths are at this point, and made sure to build his confidence so that going into the fourth quarter, he'd been a common he'd been they'd been able to get him adjusted to the speed, and. He his confidence had grown to where he kind of knew what he could do. He knew what was in front of him, and then he could just go out and and make some of those deeper throws that he could make without any fear of uh of of potentially costing his team. So, again, both a a really encouraging thing from the player, and also really well planned by the staff. Great breakdown of of the process of the game. It was interesting there. I went back and looked at the game thread. There was a lot of people frustrated with Longo's approach in the first half, which is, uh, you know, you explain what it's all about there. Uh, those folks need to see the big picture, see uh, that it's all a process. It's not just a uh, – you can't pinpoint it into one or two plays early. It's the course of the game, and Longo was coaching for the, for the entirety of the 60 minutes. But – we got to talk about the offensive line and you mentioned it earlier giving props to Jason um, but when you look at the stats Carolina averaged 4.6 yards per carry um, outran South Carolina 238 to 128 first down average for Carolina 6.6 yards I mean if they can consistently do that all year I like Carolina's chances to be a really good football team but this offensive line while Jason talked about how good they could be really stepped up against, I thought, an excellent defensive front for South Carolina. And other than a couple, uh, the Howell hit and fumble or whatever, they just wiped out the defensive front for South Carolina. And that was one of the huge keys for me. They had to block those guys. Your thoughts on what you saw from that position group? I mean, just – and it wasn't just five guys. There were There were some mixtures in there. Brian Anderson got in there. Just a lot of – everybody stepped up type mentality on the offensive line. You know, there for a minute, I thought you were going to get uh, to the end of your monologue without asking me a question again. Well, I thought about, why don't I just go ahead and ask you a question and answer it for you? (laughs) (laughs) Which you could probably do and be better at it than me. But uh, yeah, uh, you got to give them huge kudos. And uh, we, we've talked a lot about the fourth quarter and the end of the game. I, I thought the offensive line played very well throughout, uh, but particularly late. Uh, and where where you would expect to see the impact of a big offensive line that's been leaning on a defensive line the entire game, 
hitting them, wearing them down, beating on them. That's when you would expect an offensive line to excel. And we saw that, I think, on the second to last drive where, you know, Antonio Williams came out of the shadow of his own goalpost with a, a nice long gain, followed that up with another gain. And I, I don't know. I think he may have had almost all of his yards in that one drive. And, uh, you know, we, we knew about Charlie Heck. You know, uh, he was, you know, going into the year, we we felt like, oh, well, this guy is, you know, future NFL guy. We know he's going to play well, but he's shifted from right tackle to left tackle. So there's a little bit of an unknown there. Then you got Ed Montillis. Never started a game for UNC before, but we had heard the hype, and my column today was about, you know, how to hype that we heard ahead of the uh, season turned out to be realistic. And uh, he was a monster. Um, McKeithen at uh, right guard. He's just a monster. And you know, he's only going to get better as he learns to you know, get lower with his pads and increases his uh, experience there. And Tucker another gigantic guy, heck McKeithen and Tucker, you're, you're talking about over a thousand pounds of beef there, uh, that averages about six, six and a half, six, seven. They're, they're monsters. Uh, and none of them are fat. None of them, none of them are fat. They're all fit monsters. And, uh, Polino, he, he got 51 snaps, um, and, and, and acquitted himself well. I think he may have had some cramping issues uh, in the game. And then Brian Anderson comes in and plays well. Um, when, you know, I think maybe Tucker had some cramping issues, uh, Josh Azidu came in and, you know, gave him a couple of good series. So, you know, those guys on the offensive line, um, They've got attitude. You could just see it during the game. And and the longer the game went on, the more attitude they had. And so when Jason, you know, brought up the subject of uh, North Carolina's offensive line is, you know, probably as good or better as Clemson's offensive line, you know, I held my peace. You know, I, I, I was thinking maybe – Jason is out over his skis here a little bit. Uh, but uh, but uh, on, on Saturday, absolutely true. And now this South Carolina defensive line, you can say whatever you want to about South Carolina in terms of their offense, their wide receivers, Bentley, uh, the back end, which is something else we should talk about, Jason, about North Carolina's back end in this game. But um, – one thing that they do have in South Carolina is a good defensive line. They have a solid defensive line. Uh, I don't know how to compare it to anybody else's, but I'm guessing at least top three defensive line that North Carolina will face this year. And by the fourth quarter, those guys on the South Carolina defensive line had gotten so tired of having that UNC offensive line lean on them the entire game 
that it was almost like taking candy from a baby um, there in the fourth quarter. They were worn out. They were tired. Um, and it, you see it, and, and Jason could talk about this better than I can, but if you got a 330-pound, 335-pound lineman leaning on you the entire game, you get to the fourth quarter, you're going to be a little sick of that. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, I, I, I was very, very impressed with the UNC offensive line, and uh, especially when they got to the fourth quarter, they just seemed like to me they were feeling it. And so, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think that's one topic that, that definitely is going to come into play for North Carolina um, for the rest of this season. And if you look at it, at the end of this year, they're losing Charlie Heck and Nick Polino. That's it. So going forward, uh, you know, uh, I'm really optimistic about the UNC offensive line going forward. Jason, I'll let you get there, but also talk a little bit about the running backs and the receivers. Uh, you know, they've gotten a ton of hype. I think it all started with North Carolina's offensive line and then Howell and then uh, the rest of the guys on the edge. But just a a fantastic game plan by Longo. We've hit on that. But just, again, you got to go out and play. And Carolina, on the offensive side, and when we come back after break, we'll talk about defense. But on the offensive side, they executed exactly what was expected of them. Um, and it's just, it's different, you know, it's different from what we've seen. Um, but just, just your thoughts on the line themselves. I mean, fantastic play. Anderson comes in, like Buck mentioned late and they, there's no drop off and they just start really wearing out South Carolina's vaunted defensive line. Yeah. And, and there's no drop off after Polino had played really well. I mean, I, I, I put some of my attention in, in the middle of the line, early on because that's that's where I'd had some concern because I mean Polino's playing there out of out of position and in the open practice that's where they'd had some issues uh whether it was him or whether it was Anderson there I mean they had some issues there at center at times and they didn't have problems at center those guys not only handled their business they won their matchups so you know they want to across all five but a way to think about this again uh, another metaphor uh, thinking about a comparison to another sport here having a really big and really physical offensive line, a quality offensive line, it's sort of like body blows in, in boxing. You know, it's, they're not the sexy shots. You know, everybody wants to talk about the knockout shot where, you know, the guy uh, where, where, you know, it's going to be some sort of uppercut to the face or something like that, or, you know, your big, big hook where, you know, you catch somebody in the jaw and knock them out. But really where a lot of that starts and where you sap the other the other guy's power is with those body blows. You start breaking ribs after a while. You you know, but you're sapping that person's ability to attack you. You're sapping that 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 person's will to fight. And also, eventually, you loosen that that up for the knockout blow late. And that's when you have a really big and really uh, physical offensive line. That's what you what you're basically able to do. Uh, and <laughs> You know, there's the old there's the, there's a reason that there's weight classes in boxing, and there there's that old saying for football that you know a bigger guy oftentimes will do do more right by accident than a small guy does does on purpose, and they got five big guys up there, and uh, and so 
you know, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's still a lot of room for growth up front, but when they need a few yards, when they need a, a short yardage thing, you know, at this point, and every other team that's going to play them is going to know they're going to be able to run the football between, uh, behind that, that left side and expect that they're going to be able to get some stuff. When you add Michael Carter, Javante Williams, Antonio Williams, and that group behind him, because you're, you're adding guys that, how many times did we watch a North Carolina running back get tackled, get arm tackled? None. I can't. I can't think of one time in that game where a North Carolina running back was arm tackled. Well, you take a really good offensive line that's opening holes, and then you put a bunch of backs back there that don't go down on first contact. You can win a lot of games doing that, and that also makes life a lot easier for a young quarterback. And then you toss out some wide receivers like Antonio Williams and, or I'm sorry, like uh, uh, Antoine Green and, uh, uh, and Daz Newsom and, uh, and Deami Brown. You're going to, you're going to toss those three out there and you're going to say, all right, go ahead and cover these guys on verticals. Cause we know you're going to have to bring that safety down to stop these, stop these backs. Now you're going to have to go one-on-one on verticals with those guys. And every each one of those guys showed in this game that they're that they're able to win vertically. Again, you can win a lot of games that way. So they're going to score some points on offense. But one of the things that I that I think is also again worth bringing into this is, and this is a head coaching thing, not so much a Longo thing, but the the job that they did of marrying what they want to do offensively with the with what they're doing defensively and the whole picture is really important to think about here because, you know, Phil Longo, if, if, if you were going to talk to a, a most offensive coordinators and tell them before a game, you're going to score 24 points in today's game. They're not going to be happy with that. Last year, Phil Longo put up, uh, what was it? 44 against South Carolina at, at Ole Miss and lost. But what Carolina did is they took Longo's scheme, they took his system, and they they said, "Okay, we're here's the strengths of our team. We're going to keep we're going to go tempo, we're going to go up tempo at times, but we're going to control that tempo at other times. And we're going to try to control the game so that we don't let anything get out of control. And we're going to we're going to play for our defense at times." The defense is going to do what it can to play for the offense at times and marrying all that together. And that, by the way, is, again, something that didn't happen down in Tallahassee this last week. You look at they were up by 18 in the first half and it looked like they were going to run away with it offensively. But there were some decisions made that, in my view, are head coaching decisions in terms of, okay, right now we're going to get the ball. And I've been on staffs where the head coach comes over the phones and says, all right, guys, listen, I don't want to see the ball go downfield here. Just get me a first down. I just need a first down. My defense needs a first down. Okay, coach, gotcha. That's what, the, that's what you do as a head coach, is you give your coordinator, all right, here's the big picture goal. You're the general, right? I'm going to give my field marshal. Here's the, the ground that we've got to take for this battle. No, it's not. We're not trying to take the capital right now. We just got to take care of this. Now, that's your job. And then it's the coordinator's job to find the right thing to do that. But all of it working together to ensure that, that the defense isn't put into a bad spot, to ensure that the quarterback's not put into a bad spot, and all of that, it, this, it, it's, again, well-implemented and organized in that sense to, to marry all of that together 
to create winning football. And that, that, that to me ties back to Mac Brown in terms of how that, that plan works as a, as a larger thing. And that's not just a coordinator thing. Indeed. Good stuff. Let's go to break, take a short break, come back. We'll get on the defensive side of the ball. And if you're, lucky enough to be able to see the official stats. I think you'll see just what this defense was able to do. We'll talk about it when we come around. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. We're back with Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley, Jason Staples, Buck Sanders. Join me. Buck, Jay Bateman, uh, you know, the hype was was there. A lot of people wanted to see how it would translate to a P5 defense versus a P5 offense. Um, I think we got quite a few answers on Saturday. I mean, in general, what a defensive performance by a North Carolina defense that has, it, it has been shredded over the last few years. and with the um, exception of Chaz Surratt, all of these guys have been on the field before and not had much success. They were they were very solid on Saturday. That's true, Tommy, and it, to a certain extent, you know, we we've never really had, and somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. I, I know that for sure, but I don't know that we've ever had a fully healthy. Jason Crawford on the field at the same time as a fully healthy Jason Strobridge and both of them being seniors. So you, you start there that that's a pretty powerful, uh, interior tandem that, uh, gives you a lot of options as a defensive coordinator. But one, one thing that Jason brought up in, in the last segment about marrying offensive defense you know, that that is a huge component of winning football. I mean, I don't know how to overemphasize it because think about this for one second as we get into the, you know, final stanza of the UNC South Carolina game. North Carolina had the opportunity when uh, they scored their uh, – I think the next to the last penultimate touchdown go for an extra point or go for the two point conversion. And by going for the two point conversion, they ran to score. It was actually, I guess, well, in any event, they ran to score to 24 to 20. Think about how that marries up with the defense because now the defense knows that 
we have to defend the end zone. We don't have to defend that field goal, you know, game tying field goal that's going to send the game into overtime. That's huge. And if you look at uh, South Carolina's last drives, where Jake Bentley essentially overthrew the entire South Carolina wide receiver core. He did that because he was going for the end zone. He was trying to get to the end zone. He wasn't trying to get to the 25 or the 20 or the 30 so that he could kick a, so that South Carolina could kick a game tying field goal, send the game into overtime and hope to win there. That decision, you know, and, and we haven't talked about this nearly as much as we should, you know, at Inside Carolina in my column today and you know, all the other aspects of it that we've covered, that decision to go for two points where Sam Howell ran it in uh, instead of kicking that extra point was huge in terms of helping the defense. You want that marriage, as Jason talked about, between the offense and the defense where one complements the other. Well, that defense, that decision on offense played a huge role in how the defense could play against Jake Bentley and the South Carolina offense in the fourth quarter. They didn't have to defend a field goal. They only had to defend a touchdown, which was huge. And, uh, you know, I think those interceptions by um, Miles Warfolk, um, I, and I'm really hoping I'm pronouncing that right because people really give me a lot of trouble about that, but, um, I, I think that's huge. And, and so, um, I'd love to hear Jason talk about that as well, because I really do think that decision to go for two points was critical to their win, uh, on Saturday. Jason, it's just about giving them confidence and having confidence in them. I believe when I went back and watched it today, I don't really remember noticing on Saturday. Um, it looked like they might were, might were about to kick an extra point. Then they had Tucker, I believe it was, had some cramp issues. Then they put Howell out there to go for that too. But it, it's all about having confidence in your guys, and that's just another step in the process. Um, talk about that, and then I do want to hear you talk about Aaron Crawford and Strawbridge because those guys were beast on Saturday in Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that going for two there makes a ton of sense. I, I mean, I, I for me, it was an obvious thing. It was one of those like, well, you know, the math makes it very clear that you need to go for two here, and if you got a play you like, then then do it. Now, the thing that stood out to me is they had a clever little – speed option thing going where actually they've got a, they, they had a, um, uh, a, an assignment buster, basically a, uh, uh, it's a false, uh, what's it called? A, uh, a false key that you give your defense that they pulled the guard to the opposite side that the options running. So that you're actually the most linebackers are taught to follow the guard because that's where your gap goes. But all of a sudden you run speed option to the other side, that backer is supposed to be following along the speed option, but you're not blocking that backer because the speed option is relying on getting out there quick. So that just slows him down enough that he can't get back to that. And they, they did that on the, uh, they did that twice. Thought that was pretty clever, but um, 
but beyond that, I mean, defensively, yeah, you're right. I mean, Strobridge and, and Crawford, they uh, they won their matchup on the interior for, for Carolina and made things very difficult for South Carolina. They were, they, they created pressure. Strobridge was able to, to get a lot of pressure on Bentley at different points, whether he actually got his hand on him or not, they were able to compress the pocket and make Bentley uncomfortable all game. He never looked like he got settled in. Some of that is that secondary wise, they kept, kept mixing up looks on him. And you're looking at a three-year starter coming into the game who got confused by some of the looks he saw. Now, they're not going to play three-year starters every week. So that's worth noting. And then you look at how they were able to get pressure from different spots. That's that's really encouraging. Now, as more film gets out there this year, there's going to be some counters that teams are going to come in with. But that that all sticks sticks with you in terms of some of the takeaways right away. But the bigger takeaways for me defensively, because we knew Crawford was good. We knew Strobridge was good. What we weren't really 100% on is how long it would take for the defense to really match Bateman's personality and to get to the fundamental soundness that Bateman's defenses have had in the past. Because one of the things we've seen from Carolina defenses in recent years, or the thing we've learned not to expect is fundamental soundness in serious. And there were a couple busts. I mean, the, the one most notable was just a miscommunication in the secondary where you, the free safety is supposed to rotate over the top, supposed to get over there on, against that formation. And he just missed the check that happens, especially with the, with a, uh, a defense in its first game, but that only really happened once. And there were a few other little miscommunications, no problem. What really impressed me was the fundamental soundness of in two areas. After a few missed tackles early, you could really see what, what Bateman has talked about in terms of his emphasis on getting guys to the ground and tackling fundamentals. They tackled well, particularly in the second half. They didn't tackle as well as what Bateman wants, and I guarantee you you're going to hear, hear them talking about how they need to get better tackling-wise. But they tackled better than any Carolina defense has in a while. And, you know, that that goes to show that all of that work in the difference in those early periods of practice that Bateman has them do every day where they focus on tackling and tackling fundamentals, that paid off. That That's already working its way into the DNA of the program. And the other thing that really stood out to me, and especially on the interceptions, but what stood out to me is the way that the secondary, and, and I talked about this after the open practice, they're doing a very good job in the back seven of teaching pattern matching. So they're playing zone defense, but they're playing zone defense with man principles. So when this guy comes into your zone, you don't just stay in your green area that you're supposed to be defending and then let him set up there with grass around him. Never defend grass. And if you go back and you look at what they're doing, go back. I'm gonna, I'm actually going to highlight the, the Wolfolk interception, uh, the, the, the game ceiling one. You, you know, you look at, you know, Greg Ross looked like a totally different player in this game for one, but I'm going to go back and highlight uh, the, the, the final interception that put the game away. That was a situation where I was watching the secondary, that whole play when I was watching it live, knowing that based on that formation, they were probably going to be releasing at least one guy across the field, probably following that up with a vertical behind him. There, there are a couple things that they could do out of that formation. I, I wanted to see how 
the linebackers in the secondary handled their assignments from that particular look. And it was, it was seamless. The communication was excellent. They matched the, based on the proper reads for passing that off. And Wolfolk was the backside safety who recognized, I don't have anything here. I'm going to find work. My job is to bring is to go through number three from the other side. And the quarterback never saw him because he's out of the route. And then he undercut that exactly as you coach it. And it's just, it was an example of what was there all day where you didn't see with that one exception where you had a bust, you didn't see South Carolina receivers running wide open. You didn't see guys setting up in the zone where there was just a lot of grass around them. Regardless of what was happening in terms of what concept they were throwing, even when the ball was caught, there was always a Carolina defender there close by nearly getting a hand on it or, you know, making the tackle immediately after the, after the catch. And that, again, is radically different than, than what we've seen in recent years where the Carolina secondary has had players, but it's been inconsistent. And there's been a lot of times where guys have run free and there's been big plays and we just didn't see that. Uh, what was interesting to me, and, and you're right, it, I, I believe on the ESPN coverage of that, the second uh, Wolford interception, they really show that. You can see that from above, how he breaks off of his area to get where the work is. Like you said, go find this work. Um, and he found it there. Buck, um, we've talked about Greg Ross a lot. We we picked on him a lot on this podcast. And quite honestly, rightfully so at times, to the extent you can really get on a college-age player. But from last season to this season, completely different-looking guy. And then you throw in Storm Duck, who had to play a ton, especially early, with Trey Morrison going out. I mean, coaching matters. And it obviously, uh, Dre Bly and Bateman and all those guys get a ton of credit. But these guys had to come up and play. And they were ready from the get-go. I mean, South Carolina's best guy was non-existent. And that speaks a ton to these young guys making plays. Absolutely, Tommy. And, you know, you can't really say enough good things about Greg Ross and Storm Duck in the first half. Uh, Patrice Renee, he's suspended for the first half. Trey Morrison, who's the other starting corner, goes down uh, to a concussion um, in the uh, in the first half. And so you've got Greg Ross, who was a byword last year for poor pass coverage. And then you've got a true freshman in Storm Duck. Who are your starting corners for North Carolina, the North Carolina defense? And and so you would think that a experienced quarterback, a fifth year senior in Jake Bentley, and he's got Brian Edwards and Shy Smith, they would victimize and just torture those two corners to death in the first half. And it didn't happen. You know, they, the, the one touchdown throw that Bentley had went to a tight end on a blown coverage, which Jason's already talked about, but at what point did any of the UNC corners get victimized by a fifth year senior South Carolina quarterback and 
Shai Smith and Brian Edwards and you know, the the other South Carolina receivers. None. They, they didn't just didn't happen. And I'm I'm going to say, although I could be wrong, that a lot of that has to do with how Jay Bateman constructs his defense. And, uh, you know, we might get proven wrong throughout the year when they run up against a different team in a different situation. But with Greg Ross and Storm Duck looking like all ACC corners out there in this situation, to me, is that's got to be great defensive scheming. And, uh, and so the back end, which Jason also bragged on after the open practice, we talked about that watching the open practice together, how great the back end looked under Jay Bateman's defense. Um, you gotta be very encouraged, uh, you know, going forward against the teams that, um, North Carolina is going to face this year in terms of what kind of covers you're going to get on, on the back end of the defense. And, you know, um, I'm going to hand it off to you, Tommy, but I, I definitely think we need to talk about Chaz Surratt and the linebackers, which were a huge question mark headed into this game. Indeed, Buck. You read my mind. Jason, I want to come to you, but we're going to discuss them both. Uh, Chesserat and Jeremiah Gimmel. Chesserat playing uh, like Matt Brown talked about in the postgame press conference. He was a quarterback this time last year. And he's out there making 12 tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, and one hurry. I mean, it speaks a lot to him. He wanted to stay in North Carolina. He wanted to be able to play, and he wanted to be able to contribute in a certain way. But, again, it goes back to the staff getting him ready and then him translating that. Jason, speak to what you saw from him and Gimmel. I mean, I think the linebackers, we've, we've talked about how the linebackers were going to be an issue and a problem, and they may end up being that way um, against a better team able to take advantage of it. Um, but at least for South Carolina, those guys seemingly were all over the field. Surratt had maybe a bad angle on the touchdown run. But other than that, I mean, Brown and staff could not ask for more than they got from those guys. Again, they 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 did what they were asked to do, and you know Mac Brown's Mac Brown's motivational speech before the game. I've heard people you know rip into coaches or rip on coaches for, uh, oh, you're just telling guys, oh, do your job. Real inspiring speech, but see, this is the thing Mac Brown understands: having won a national title, inspiration, like getting emotional from that speech, not going to really do you much, not going to do much, much, not going to help you much. But what will help you is if you can persuade your guys to buy into the idea that I don't need to be the hero. I don't need to make every tackle. I don't need to, to run around like, you know, my hair's on fire. I just need to do my job. And what, that's what we saw from the linebackers. The linebackers are asked to do a lot in Bateman's system. But what they did is, okay, here's your gap. He, when, when that was his gap, he was in that gap. And he played physical. 
And, you know, it doesn't hurt that Surratt is a really, really good athlete. I mean, NFL caliber athlete for a linebacker. Really good movement skills, good size, good length. I mean, he has that he has that kind of physical ceiling. He's just never played the position before. And then he gets out there and he does his job. And like you said, the one mistake early on didn't make it again. Okay. But again, across the board, Gemmel two, you look at it and it's as simple as that. You do your job. And they also got protected pretty well by the guys in front of them who demanded some double teams and, and made it harder to, to get at those guys. But they did a great job triggering downhill in the run game, making secure tackles. And then, like you said, they were all over the place in the past game. And this, to me, again, goes back to what is most impressive to me. It's really hard to teach pattern matching. It, that's a staff-wide thing that has to happen defensively because if you're going to patch well, I remember talking to Jimbo Fisher about this some years ago when Florida State in 2013 was one of the best pattern matching teams I've seen. And then in 2014, 2015, they weren't as good doing that. They didn't do well at all. And I asked him, I was like, what's the difference? Why, what's going on? Why is it that, you know, things are, are tougher in terms of that? And he said, well, pattern matching is really tough to teach. You, you, you have to, and it starts with, you have to be able to do it underneath. Because you can do a lot right in the secondary, but if your linebackers are letting you down in the pattern matching, then you're in trouble. Those guys have to be rock solid in order to really take away that space. Well, what does that tell you about the fact that South Carolina just was not able to create a lot of space in the passing game in this game? That tells you that, well, (laughs) they did a really good job of teaching those linebackers how to match routes against South Carolina and what they do and to take away that space and to be in the right spot and make sure that you're not just covering grass and they did their job. So yeah, I, that, that to me, I'm, I'm going to withhold judgment a little bit because you have some more opportunities to, to prepare in the preseason for exactly what your first opponent's going to do. But as a first taste in your mouth, that to me changes a little bit of the expectations for what, the North Carolina, what can be expected from the North Carolina defense this year? Because we know that personnel-wise, we have there, 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 there are still some holes, and there's still reason to expect that you know they're not going to go out there and stop Clemson necessarily. But it does make me think, you know, uh, they, maybe that maybe their buy-in is good enough, and they've they found enough players to fill a few holes that they could be a little better than expected in the preseason. Uh, what a great segue to our last segment of the show. Jason talking about how does this change expectations uh before I get into that with Buck I want to mention and I haven't forgotten and if you've listened this far you've got a great opportunity to win a couple tickets to sit with Buck Sanders and me at the Miami game you got to uh you got to know the year Miami and North Carolina first played and and that code is now go ahead and give it to you enter to win on the message boards do not post the code on the message board Enter on that thread to win. Code's nineteen forty six. Buck, I'm gonna come to you. Um, expectations. I hey, I picked them to win the first two games of the year, and I'm not going to change that now. But certainly, the way they performed has changed a lot of eyeballs. It's just one game. It could all go down the toilet 
next Saturday tonight. But how is how have expectations changed for you, and maybe how should they change for the Carolina fan base? I watched the Miami Florida game, and I watched obviously the uh, UNC South Carolina game, and I've rewatched the UNC South Carolina game now, uh, particularly spots of it multiple times. And, you know, as I was talking to Mrs. Buck uh, from the drive home from Charlotte, and she, she's much sharper than I am when it comes to football, by the way, which doesn't take a lot. But uh, <laughs> is she your uh, Sally? Yeah, she's my, uh, we might want to call her Miss Trish, you know, just to, <laughs> just, just to get there. But uh, I'm, I'm talking to her about it um, on the way home from Charlotte. And I'm using that, uh, you know, I've seen North Carolina play. I've seen Miami play. So why is it that I would necessarily give Miami the edge in this game? Um, Both teams have a uh, freshman quarterback. Both teams have uh, some changes on the offensive line. Personally, I think North Carolina's offensive line looked much better than Miami's uh, offensive line did against Florida. And I think about those matchups in the trenches a little bit. And all of a sudden, when at the start of the season, I'm thinking, nah, North Carolina's not going to beat Miami. They've got too good a defense. Well, now I'm thinking and maybe I'm getting over my skis a little bit. North Carolina doesn't have that bad of a defensive line themselves. North Carolina doesn't have that bad of defense themselves. And, you know, if you throw in all the uh, different scenarios, all of a sudden, whereas in the preseason, I was prepared to say there's just no way North Carolina's going to beat Miami. Um, I'm rethinking that now and and i think probably at some point after the miami game we might want to reconsider reconvening the entire ic uh brain trust and see where are you now after the first two games what is your season prediction now because mine went personally at least from six and six to seven and five and teetering on eight and four so, uh, just based on what we saw in that first game, and I know it's easy to get, uh, maybe a little over exuberant about it, but you know, honestly, that UNC defensive line looked really, really good. And the entire UNC defense looked good. Um, and I think that, you know, they were dialing it back for Sam Howell in the first half and letting him go a little bit in the second half. And right now I'm prepared to say North Carolina's got the better quarterback um, over Miami right now. Receivers, uh, I'm not prepared to say Miami's in a better situation than North Carolina. Running backs, I might give North Carolina the edge based on the the depth that they have. I know DJ Jallis is a good player, but. I, I don't know at this point. I, I'm much more um, conflicted about the outcome of the Miami game uh, 
at this point than I was in the preseason. And plus, based on my experience with the UNC fan base in Charlotte, um, Keenan is going to be lit on, on Saturday night. They're going to be wide open. If they can get the fan base that was at Charlotte to show up 60,000 strong in Keenan Stadium on Saturday night against Miami, uh, I'm picking North Carolina to win. I mean, I, I just think that is so close. And, you know, give Dan Eno's comments about his starting quarterback, what it's worth, and, uh, you know, thoughts about Miami's offensive line, you know, what credit's do there. I, I'm thinking a little bit differently about the Miami game at this point than I was in the preseason. Jason, uh, I feel like we've possibly been here before following Carolina football, so I I temper a little bit. I've got them to win both first two, like I said. I also um, had them at 7-5, even winning the first two. I'm not sure I'm ready to change that, but certainly, um, and it's sort of been a theme of the show, theme of Buck's column, um, the morning after this podcast here fourth named the day after, uh, you know, when you have so much hype and then you actually live up to most of it, that's got to make people think, whoa, step back. Were we wrong about, um, our preseason predictions? Could it be better in fact, but still a long ways to go this season? Well, we talked about this on the, uh, preseason extravaganza, which you so, artfully and skillfully edited together and stitched together from the chaos of uh, all of us, all of us talking about all sorts of stuff. The Franklin talk- Frankenstein podcast. Yes. Sir. Yeah. We talked <laughs> about this quite a bit on that though, where it was one of those, like, listen, if they come out and they're able to win in Charlotte and win convincingly, and then they're able to beat Miami, a confident team that, that really believes that they're that they're great can sometimes play way above what you would what you would think their talent level is and again i in that podcast i pointed to miami as an example of that right and i I, actually i think that one we we might might have been in the uh south carolina preview but either way we've talked about it on this podcast that a couple years ago miami was not a top 10 team when you look at the pieces on that team but they sure thought they were and they won 10 games and so you beat Miami, and all of a sudden, yeah, you know, well, you maybe start rethinking seven win projections because the ACC is not exactly that strong. I mean, Virginia Tech went three and out on what eight or seven seven possessions, I think, against Boston College, right? I mean, you start going, all right, who who out there really terrifies you other than Clemson on the conference schedule? Is it? We talked about this in the preseason. There's no no game that you that you really feel like you can't win other than potentially that one but there's a lot of games that you can lose but the difference in those coin flip games oftentimes comes to the team that comes in healthier and more confident and so yeah i mean i i think i think there's a chance that this team the ceiling for this team is higher than anybody projected uh I right now, and I reserve the right to change my 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 opinion before the uh, uh, 
before the actual game when we do our preview podcast, but if I'm and after I look at a little bit of film, but if I'm picking it right now, I think I would favor North Carolina in that in that Miami game. Miami right now is about a six point favorite too. So those of you out there who uh, are of the sporting variety, that makes for an interesting you know one unit play this week because you start looking at I think Buck's right. You look at that matchup and Miami's got a couple of freshmen on the offensive line. Their defensive line's good, but not great. It's not a whole lot better than what you've got in uh, in South Carolina. I think it's roughly comparable, a little better on the edge, maybe not as good in the interior. And then they've got great linebackers, and they're they're pretty good in the secondary, but you know they're not elite elite in the sec in in, in the uh, on the defense. And I think Carolina can run on them. So now you got a you got potentially an advantage on both lines of scrimmage. And each team starting a quarterback, and I like what I saw from Howell more than what I liked from or what I saw from uh, from Jaron Williams, particularly the way that their offensive staffs handled handled each of them. And so, so does Dan that, Enos. Jason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, given that, you know, I think there's a good reason to think that at least Carolina should be very competitive in that game, if not if not winning that game. And then they win that game, and all of a sudden, this team really believes that you know they're on the cusp of a national championship. Look, you know, Coach Brown's here, and now all of a sudden, we're national champions. You know, Clemson will probably bring that to earth pretty quickly. But you look at the rest of the schedule, and you know, maybe you're playing Virginia for the uh, for the conference uh, for or for the uh, for the division. So, you know, it's not out of the question. I think it's maybe getting a little out in front of our skis yet, but we can we can revisit this discussion if they beat Miami and start really talking about, okay, what's the ceiling of this team? Right now, I think it's realistic to talk about this team given Miami all they can handle. Uh, it is amazing what a little belief will do to even old hats like us, but also to young hats like the Carolina football team Buck and Jason, it's always fun. Like I said, this is now the day after. The podcast is going to be called The Day After with Jason and Buck. Fun time, fun one to do. It's been, it's been a long time coming. If you're listening and haven't entered the contest to win those two tickets, you get to sit next to Buck. Um, and unfortunately, in front of me. So uh, enter at your own risk, but it's certainly fun up there to sit with Buck and Mrs. Buck. Thanks, guys. We will uh, do this again very soon. Loved it. Really enjoyed it, guys. It's always always. fun, but it's way more fun when the team you're covering is actually is actually doing well. Yeah, this was a much fun, more fun column to write today and podcast than I'm used to for an opening game. (laughs) Indeed, it is. It is uh, like I said, long time coming. We'll talk again soon, folks. Appreciate you listening. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.